0: This is the Bible in Depth with PJ. Join us as we take a deeper look into scriptures and study the Word of God together. Now, here is Pastor Jim. So I'm going to just pick up where we left off because Jesus now the crucifixion has has uh, now ended. He is dead. Uh, the women around the cross and um, the mother of James and John, the sons of Zebedee, is there. And you got to think, but she's thinking in her mind, "Oh my gosh, I had." I had asked Jesus, uh, let my son be on one side and the other when you come in your kingdom. And she's looking at the cross. And if he would have done that for me, this would have been my boys right there, possibly. And so thank God that um, her lesson would be, and our lesson is, uh, thank God doesn't, God doesn't always give us uh, what we ask for. Because God knows better than we know. Um, so <clears throat> let me get into this. And by the way, on Sunday we continue in our end time series. I'll be looking at the false prophet, this second beast in uh, uh, the Great Tribulation. So verse 57 says this, when it was evening, uh, and by the way, the word evening can include late afternoon, and that's a very important statement because once evening hits, a new day begins at, at dusk for the Jews, and now it would head into Passover, and you you know, you don't want to do anything during Passover, especially around a dead body. Um, <clears throat> but when it was evening, there came a rich man, and the Bible doesn't just say a man, but a rich man. We'll get to that in a second. From Arimathea named Joseph, who himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Now, I find it fascinating, and it really is fascinating to me, and there's an object lesson here uh, for the disciples and for us, because a rich man comes, uh, and he wants, um, <clears throat> he's going to want to take down body of Jesus. He's going to want to do something with it, do the right thing with the body of Jesus. No, but he's a rich man. Let's go into the idea of a rich man first. Let's go back to Matthew chapter 19 and verse 23. Watch this. It's the rich, we call him the rich young ruler. I didn't invent that. Somebody came up with that because he's rich, this man in Matthew 19, and he's young, and he's a ruler. So the rich young ruler. And look at verse 23 after the whole interaction takes place. We won't go into that because it's not our teaching for here. But Jesus said to his disciples in verse 23 of chapter 19, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man hmm, to enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that uh, is a fascinating statement for the Jews to hear, for the disciples. You know why? Because their idea of anyone, if anyone's going into heaven, it's the people who are rich because they have the blessing of God upon them. And that was a strong belief back then. So Jesus said, blows their mind. You ever notice Jesus flips the script everywhere? <laughs> he would flip the script on so much of our lives right now that we think is the right way to go towards all kinds of things. He would flip that script so fast. But he says, it's hard for a rich men to enter the kingdom of heaven. Verse 24. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for rich men to enter the kingdom of God. Oh, now wait a minute. That's, in our mind, a camel going through the eye of a needle, that's impossible. But he says it's easier. But the eye of a needle could also be a door within a door. I've seen that in Israel. And there's other things it could mean. I don't have time to go into that right now. When the disciples heard this, they were very astonished and said, then who can be saved? In other words, if rich people who we think are the blessing of God is upon them, If they're not going to heaven, because we assume that's the blessing of God, then who in the world is going to make it? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people, this is impossible. But with God, all things are possible. So Jesus says, look, rich man's not going to heaven because the blessing of God is upon him. It's going to be tough for that rich man. But with God, all things are possible. And now here we find this whole lesson playing out again at the crucifixion in matthew 27 57 a rich man he's coming he's come to the cross but notice he is a man he's from jesus name is joseph he is from arimathea now we know in luke we know that he has um this man is part of the sanhedrin the council and uh, And we know in the meeting in Luke, Luke writes that this Joseph of Arimathea, when they were planning and scheming, when the religious leaders were planning and scheming to go get Jesus and to snuff him out, kill him, get him out of the way, Joseph of Arimathea stood up and said, I'm against the plan. I'm not for this plan. So we know that about him. That's that's written. It also says he himself had also become a disciple of Jesus. Okay, let's let's, let's explore that because this man who is in the Sanhedrin and these people are against Jesus, this man becomes a follower of Christ. He puts his faith in Jesus. So let's look at John chapter 19, 19 verse 38. Now watch this. I love the way the Bible connects everything together in the harmony of the Gospels. Verse 38 says, and 39 of, of John 19, After these things, meaning after the, res, after the crucifixion, jo- Joseph of Arimathea, there he is again, being a disciple of Jesus, but a secret one, for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus, and Pilate granted permission, so he came and took away his body. But let's read verse 39 for fun. Nicodemus, who had first come to him, to Jesus by night. Why by night? So nobody would see him, because he's uppity up in the religious circles also. In John 3, you read this story when Nicodemus comes to him. That's the whole born-again interaction. But there's more to it than that. But he comes by night, also bringing a mixture of myrrh, and aloe is about 100 pounds weight. Now, guys, typically they'd bring probably about 30 pounds. These are the spices needed uh, when they would, a body, when a person would die, they'd put all these spices over them after they wrapped them in strips of cloth so it would deaden the bad smell. They're bringing 100 pounds of this stuff when typically I think it was 30, maybe 20, 20 or 30 pounds of it. They're going to carry Jesus, dead body. They're going to carry 100 pounds of spices. That, that's incredible. But let me tell you what it actually means. It means that Jesus really did die. Because if he wasn't dead, they wouldn't bring the spices. And that's an important thing. You may not think it is, but in theological circles, that's an important thing. Because some people say, oh, he didn't die. We'll get to that later on in the text. But here we have these disciples. Now, think about Nicodemus. And if you ever think that some people can't be saved, these are the guys that couldn't be saved, but they're saved. They got born again. Nicodemus is the one, remember a couple weeks ago we talked about, or maybe last week, when Jesus said, and as Moses lifts up the serpent in the wilderness, remember he's given Nicodemus an object lesson to make him think about it, because Nicodemus isn't understanding this whole concept of born again. And so Jesus gives him that whole thing out of numbers, and Nicodemus must have thought about it and thought about it, as the serpents lifted it up in the wilderness, as the serpents lifted it up in the wilderness. And so when he sees the cross and he sees Jesus on the cross, it clicks. And he goes from a secret disciple like Joseph of Arimathea in the darkness of night coming to him. Now he comes out in the open. And Joseph and Nick at night, they are going to take the body down. They are coming for the body of Jesus. Now, verse uh, 58. Oh, and by the way, for them to take that body down, remember I said earlier, it's, it's it said, and it was evening, late afternoon, it's almost Passover. If they touch a dead body, they're, they're defiled. They're unclean. They cannot celebrate Passover at all. And we'll get to that later on why. It didn't really matter to them anymore. But they're coming, they're going to touch a dead body. Now, verse 58. This man went to Pilate. Joseph of Arimathea goes to Pontius Pilate and asks for the body of Jesus. He says, I, can I take the body down? Can I bury the body? Can I do the right thing? Then Pilate ordered it to be given to him. Now, let's, this is a great, great little verse. Now, now why, why is it great? <clears throat> because many times and typically uh, the Romans would say, no, you're leaving that body. That criminal stays on that cross and his body Will be picked at and picked at by vultures and eaten and pulled at and torn till there's nothing left. That's what they normally would do. But sometimes, if a family member or some high official would come in and say, I, "Can I take the body down? Can I give it a proper burial? Something like that," the Romans would relent and say, "Okay, you can go and do that." Here's what I think. Isn't I think I can't prove it, but I think that when Joseph says. Um, can I take the body of Jesus? Can, can you give it to me? I think Pil- Pontius Pilate probably thought, yes, just take him, man. This guy has caused me so many problems in my life. I, I, yeah, go ahead. You do what you want with him because I've been trying to get this guy out of my life for a while. And we know that about a year later after this, Pilate resigns his position, moves to Gaul, which is modern-day Germany, and he ends up taking his own life. All these, this exchange with, with Jesus and stuck in the situation, and he couldn't save him, uh, it just drove him crazy. It just drove him nuts. And so I think he's finally like, yeah, just, just take it. Just, I want to be done with this. I want to be finished with him. Verse 59. And Joseph took the body and wrapped it in, cl- in a clean linen cloth. Mm. So now they wrap him in strips of, of cloth, remember that, verse 60, and laid it in his own new tomb, which he had hewn out in the rock, and he rolled a large stone against the entrance of the tomb, and He went away. So they touch the dead body. They're defiled. Passover is quickly approaching in just a matter of a couple hours probably. They take it to a new tomb. It's Joseph's tomb. Let me tell you about tombs. Um, They were hewn out of solid, solid rock. There was a smaller op. it's a smaller opening, it's not a huge opening. You go in there, it could have a couple of room compartments to it. It was a family tomb. So as they wrapped the dead body with strips of cloth, laid it in these certain spots in the tomb, covered it with spices for the smell, that body would stay in there for um, a year, maybe two years, until... Uh, it's completely decayed and gone, and all that's left is the skeleton. They would go back in there. They would take the bones, and they would have these boxes are called ossuary boxes, of which they have found the actual ossuary box of Caiaphas in the time of Jesus. They would put the bones in the ossuary box and then put it in, keep it in the tomb which leave open slabs again for the next family members to come in. And these things would stack in there. And that's the way it worked. But this is a new tomb. No one's ever, ever been buried in here before. Now here's what I like about that. Jesus, he is conceived in a new womb. One that has never had a baby pass through or any sexual activity. Jesus Rides on a colt on Palm Sunday on which no one has ever sat new. Jesus is buried in a new tomb, one where no one's ever been buried before. Everything is new, new, and new. I like that. Because when you and I put our faith in Jesus, we are a new creature in Christ. All things become new. The old things pass away. And the word new in the Greek we find there in 2 Corinthians 5.17 is something that has never, ever existed before. Now, let me give you a little side note on this. By the way, let me finish off. And so they would roll a stone in front of the tomb. And I'll talk more about the stone a few verses later. So now he's in there and that stone, that round stone would have a... Carved out at the base, like like a a gutter with the with a curb on it, that would hold the stone in place. So he's in Joseph, a rich man's tomb. It's new. Now watch this. Turn to Isaiah chapter 53. Isaiah 53. Check it out. This is the famous messianic chapter. And verse 9 of Isaiah 53 says this. His grave, this is talking about the Messiah who would become and suffer and be killed. His grave was assigned with wicked men. Yet he was with a rich man in his death. Whoa, there it is. Because he had done no violence, nor was there any deceit in his mouth. Mm. He was a rich, with a rich man in his death. The prophecy is even fulfilled there that a rich man comes forward and says, I want to put him in my tomb. Jesus is with a rich man in his death. That's incredible. I, I like the way prophetically things match up like that. It's really cool. Now, verse 61, kind of a sad verse. And Mary Magdalene was there. And the other Mary sitting opposite the grave, the other Mary is probably Mary, Mary the mother of James the Less. Not the one who's the mother, the sons of Zebedee, another disciple, James the less. The other Mary. Now, I perform many funerals. I've done an, I've been performing them for, gosh, over 30 years, and I, I don't even I couldn't tell you how many I perform. It's really sad at the graveside. It's a heavy thing. You find two women here that as they rolled the stone in front of the tomb, Jesus' body in there. They've traveled there. They've followed the body, everything. And they just sit down opposite the tomb. And they just sit because they're sad. Mary Magdalene, we know how Jesus delivered her. And she's broken. She's a sad woman. We find her at the tomb here. We're going to find her at the tomb first thing in the morning. Resurrection Sunday morning. Doesn't even know Jesus rose from the dead. But I've watched people at gravesides, family members. As they put the casket down, they start putting the dirt in everything. They just don't want to leave, some of them. It's very hard. Because it's so final. It's very difficult. And I would assume that this is much the same. Because it's hard to let go of someone you really love. It's hard to say bye to someone you really love. It's a difficult, difficult thing. Especially when someone has poured so much into you. Verse 62. Now on the next day, oh, now we're on the Sabbath day. We're on Saturday. The day after the preparation, the chief priests and the Pharisees gathered together with Pilate. So now they're going to gather together together. And they're going to talk to Pilate, the chief priests, the Pharisees, all these people in um, who, have, who are higher up in the religious structure. These are basically the governing people in Israel, with Rome being the overarching power that holds them and impresses them. So they're going to meet with Pilate because they got they, they're worried about something. They're worried about Jesus' <laughs> tomb being empty. Verse sixty-three, watch, and said, "Sir, I, they." <laughs> they they call Pilate, sir. Really? A few hours ago, you're all over the guy. A few hours. The day before, you're, 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 you're calling him all kinds of things. You're no friend of Caesar. They're threatening the guy. No, uh, sir. Really? Come on. Come on, man. Quit being a two-face. Sir. And now, here's what they're going to tell Pilate. We remember. Now, they remember something that when he, Jesus, was still alive. You know what that means? He's dead. Jesus is actually dead. Let me read the verse, and then I'm going to get back to that statement. When he was still alive, that, that deceiver, they're calling Jesus a deceiver. Well, the miracles were deception. <laughs> Everything was fake. He, they go, we remember, this is what he said. After three days, I am to rise again. Okay, this is loaded so um let me let me say some things because this is a loaded verse first off they say when he was still alive meaning he's dead i like that you like that jesus didn't know i like that it's stated you know why because some people try to state there uh, there's a swoon theory i don't know if you ever heard of that that jesus swooned his own death like he's faking it up there and after they took him down the disciples nursed him back to health. (laughs) Really? Let me get this straight. So, let's see. So he's whipped um, by the Romans, which is probably over 39 times. His back is wide open. See his organs in his body. He's uh, beaten up. Uh, They put a crown of thorns on him. Um, They beat beat him up some more. They make him carry a cross 600 yards uphill. They nail him to a cross. He's up there for six hours going through all this. He hasn't eaten. He hasn't drank. He had nothing like that. And he's going to fake the death. Come on, man. <laughs> that would kill anybody. Swoon theory. Whatever, guy. That doesn't even make any sense. He died. Now, let me read to you some things that I like. You may not like it, but I like it. So I'm going to read it to you. Different historians and what they say. Um, and these aren't Christian historians. These are different. Josephus writes, When Pilate, upon hearing him accused by men of the highest standing amongst us, had condemned him to be crucified. In other words, Josephus writes, Pilate condemned him to be crucified, meaning to die. Tacitus reports, Nero fasted the guilt of the burning of Rome and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class hated for the abominations called Christians by the populace Christus from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate. In other words, he was killed. Ah. The Talmud reports, the Talmud is the authoritative body of Jewish laws, etc. The Talmud reports, on the eve of the Passover, Yeshu was hanged. Yeshu is Joshua. In the Hebrew, the equivalent in Greek is yosus or Jesus. Being hung on a tree was used to describe crucifixion in antiquity. Clearly, Jesus' death by crucifixion is a historical fact supported by considerable evidence. So, we see these extra-biblical, writer, extra non-Christian writers say, he died. They wrote about it. Now, <clears throat> here's what's fascinating to me in verse 63. They said, we remember. <laughs> he said, after three days, I am to rise again. <gasps> What? They were listening to his teachings. Oh! They understood what he said. You know what that's fascinating? Couple reasons. Let me show you one. Look at Matthew chapter 16 verse 21. Look at Matthew 16 verse 21. This is crazy. This is cool. This is neat. This is boss. This is hip. This is groovy. Look at verse 21. It says, From that time Jesus, Matthew 16, 21, but that time Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised up on the third day. Ah. Did the disciples believe it? No. (laughs) Did the religious leaders believe it? Whoa. They heard the teaching clearly. They understood what he was saying. The disciples did not understand it. These people who killed him understood it. And they want to make sure that no one comes to steal the body because they don't believe he's going to rise from the dead. But they know what he's talking about. That's interesting. They were actually listening to his teaching. Whoa! That means that possibly in the trial when, before the religious leaders, when they brought the false witnesses, when they said, he said he would destroy this temple, and then three days he would raise the whole thing up again. They knew exactly what he was saying. They knew he was talking about the temple of his body, like we find in John 2. They knew it. They understood it. Verse 64. Therefore, give orders for, for the grave to be made secure until the third day. So in other words, let's make sure nothing goes on here for three days because we know he says in three days he's going to rise. He's going to come to life. Otherwise, see, here's their point. Otherwise, his disciples, these are just ridiculous statements. But listen, here's where the rationale. His disciples may come and steal him away and say to the people, He has risen from the dead and the last deception will be worse than the first. What? They're saying the disciples are going to come and steal the body and announce to the world he's risen from the dead. First off, if they announced to the world, if they stole the body and announce to the world he's risen from the dead, what's the first thing people would ask? Well, show us the body. Where is he? We want to see this guy alive. So that doesn't make any sense. They said the disciples are going to come and steal the body. Question, where are the disciples this whole time now since Jesus was arrested? They're in hiding. They're terrified. They do not believe that Jesus will rise from the dead. That's why they're not at the tomb that Easter Sunday morning. They they don't expect the body to to be walking around. They don't expect any of it. So for them to say, oh, they're they're terrified. For them to say, they're going to come steal the body. No, they're not. They're scared out of their minds. Except for one, Thomas. People say, he's doubting Thomas. You know, it's a bad rap. Because Thomas wasn't at the meeting when Jesus was in the room appeared to them in the resur- after the resurrection. But where was he? He's walking the streets. He's not afraid. He's not hiding like the other disciples. So he gets a bad rap. He's not afraid. The other are afraid. they would have never gone to steal the body Now. Verse 65. Pilate said to them, "You have a guard? Go, make it as secure as you know how." In other words, okay, go go ahead, go, go do it. And they went and made the grave secure. And along with the guard, they set a seal on the stone. Okay. If it's the Roman guards that they're allowed to have there at the tomb, you got at least four guards. And they're trained to defend small areas of territory. But the way they would go through the night is two awake, two asleep, and they'd rotate. The guys are trained killers. So now you have them there at the tomb. The bodies inside the tomb. The stone, which weighs a couple thousand pounds, that's rolled in front. Now, not only is it rolled in front, they take a rope and they cross the stone and they put wax On both sides and they press the seal of Rome onto that wax if that thing is broken if that rope is torn off the Roman guards that are there at the tomb it's like you have just committed a crime because you let this happen you tampered with that rope and they could lose their life over that one so they're not gonna let anybody tamper with that rope whatsoever so you you don't you don't mess with these things Now, when you start putting all these things together, the guard, the massive stone, the seal, you realize they have made it impossible for anyone to come steal the body. They've made it impossible for that stone to be rolled and for Jesus to get out. But we know that once he goes in that tomb, it's Friday. And we know that Sunday's coming. And I'm going to pause right there. Because mankind has made it impossible for Jesus to come back. But that doesn't stop Jesus. It doesn't stop him one bit. It's Friday, but Sunday's coming. And we'll talk about that next Wednesday. God bless you. Amen. It's good talking to you, and uh, we'll see you on Sunday. Have a good day. Thank you for joining us. If you have any questions or need prayer, please send us an email to hello at nbcc.com. We'd love it if you would subscribe to this podcast and take a second to rate it. Until then, we'll see you next time.